0: So tonight we talk about Khadija radhiyallahu ta'ala anha, and Khadija is the first and, the first and 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 the first. In fact, if you were to break down the lists of firsts, Khadija would occupy the first nine, which I'll get to inshallah at least about the first nine, if you actually get to her virtues. Um, as I said, you know, you could start off with her and we could have started off this series, but I wanted to kind of lay the groundwork with some of those that started to have these inclinations towards belief before Khadija uh, actually receives the Prophet, وسلم, receives the Prophet and uh, believes in him and gives him that support that he needed so desperately in those times. But you know, understanding you know the place of Zayd ibn Amr and then understanding Waraka, the cousin of Khadija and the role that he played. And now we get to this very special woman. Now my disclaimer for this is that I've done a five hour class on Khadija. So it's very hard to condense into 40 minutes, but I'm going to try. And I'm going to try to focus particularly on where she distinguishes herself as the first. And so I'm going to omit many of the biographical details about her. Um, in light of that and focus on some of the things that a lot of people might not actually know about her Okay, so many people miss certain things about her or the significant elements of her history that have to do with it. Obviously uh, She is who she is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said Khayru nisa'iha Maryam ibn Imran wa khayru nisa'iha Khadija that the best woman of her times was Maryam and the best woman of her times was Khadija the Prophet ﷺ included her amongst those who perfected their faith. When you say perfection of faith, you have to think about all that that entails and how hard that is to achieve for someone who is not a prophet of God. To be perfect, have kamal, have complete perfection in her iman and her akhlaq, faith and her character. عنها, and you see this as you start to go through her story. So let's start off with just briefly who she is. She is Khadija bint Khuwaylid ibn Asad ibn Abdul-Uzza ibn Qusay ibn Kilab uh, from Qusay ibn Kilab all the way up she has the exact same lineage as the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so she has the same lineage the, the same lineage as the Prophet peace be upon him and then it breaks off after uh Qusay to Abdul-Uzza and then you go into the tree of uh, Khadija radiAllahu ta'ala anha as we mentioned last week let's see if anyone remembers actually um, her father, was he the oldest son or the youngest son? The youngest. How do we know that? What was, why did that come up last week? Because her uncle. Her uncle who? No, no, we said it last week for a reason. Anybody remember? See how attentive people are. Yeah. Very good. So we said, Nofel is the brother of Khawadid. Khawadid is the youngest son of Asad. Nofel is the oldest. So Waraka is the oldest son of Nofal. Khadija is the youngest of Khawadid, which explains the gap in age between Waraka and Khadija. So Waraka really played much more of a senior role um, in her life. Waraka is her cousin, but almost like her uncle because of the uh, difference in age. We're talking at least at this point you know, 25, 30 years between Waraka and Khadija. Uh, so, Khuwaylid was the chief of Banu Asad. He uh, was one of those who defended the Kaaba in the story of Surah Al-Fil, one of those who, uh, who w- was willing to defend the Kaaba along with Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of the Prophet. And he also went with Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of the Prophet وسلم, uh, to Yemen to congratulate Saif ibn Yazam who became the ruler of Yemen after the death of Abraha. After the the, the, the death of Abraha and uh, and of course Abraha was the one who sought to destroy the Kaaba from Yemen. So, the father of Khadija Khawailid is close to Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ. And of course Abdul Muttalib was the one who took care of the Prophet ﷺ when he was first born. Uh, because the Prophet's father had already passed away. So, Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather, and Khuwaylid have a history being two chiefs living together. Yet, both of them dying relatively early. Khuwaylid died, as we said last week, in the Battle of Al-Fijar. Who knows the name of the mother of Khadija? I'll give you a clue. It's the name of one of her daughters. Fatima. So, there are many Fatimas when you actually start to get through it. So the mother of Khadija is Fatima bint Zaida. So Fatima, the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ and Khadija Zahra is named after Fatima bint Zaida. Fatima was also the paternal grandmother of the Prophet ﷺ, the mother um, of Abdullah. Uh, her siblings, we mentioned a very famous sibling, Awam, being the father of Az-Zubair Az-Zubair ibn Awam. As Zubair ibn Awam, of course, is one of the ten promised paradise. So that would make Zubair her cousin or nephew. You said her siblings, okay? So Zubair is the nephew of Khadija. Zubair has two daughters, by the way, named Khadija al Kubra and Khadija al Sughra. Would name two of his daughters: Khadija the big and Khadija the small. Khadija al Kubra and Khadija al Sughra. Uh, another famous uh, sibling is uh, Hizam, the father of, uh, of, of, uh, of uh, Hakim ibn Hizam, who of course was the one who uh, has plays a, a big role in the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. Later on, um, he narrates many of the narrations of Meccan seerah and about Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha in particular. There is uh, Hala uh, bint Khuwaylid, um, the sister of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha her son Al-As, the son of Hala bint Khuwaylid would marry uh, Zainab, the daughter of Khadija and the Prophet Sallallahu So that's one of the sisters of Khadija ta'ala Anha as well. And you know, uh, the rest of that obviously this is just meant to give you somewhat of a picture of what's happening in Mecca as it comes to the Prophet Sallallahu Khadija ta'ala anha was born 15 years before the Prophet Sallallahu So she was 15 years older. Uh, then the Prophet Sallallahu that would make her year of birth, what year? You can't just say 15 years before the Prophet. We don't have BP before Prophet's birth, right? Five what? 595? Five 585? Five 555. The Prophet Sallallahu wa was born in the year 570. You got your numbers mixed up. Five. <laughs> you got prophethood, that's right. So you're, you've got, you're, you're on to something. Just not this thing, all right? So she was born in the year 555, 15 years before the Prophet Wasallam. Her name is a really interesting name. It's a, an extremely unique name. If you look through the uh, the early books where they, they they you know track the names, the names that people would use in the Arab world at the time were pretty common. Just you see a lot of aunts, moms, daughters, kind of recycling the names over and over and over again. Khadija is not one of those names. Just like Muhammad is unique only to him, Khadija is not a name that you find. Khadija means premature. Khadija actually means linguistically premature. And so the indication is that she was born well before the due date. And uh, some of the scholars, you know, mentioned maybe the wisdom of that. She was premature. She was ahead of her time. You know, truly subhanAllah, as a woman ahead of her time, but as a girl when she was born, she was born premature. Hence her family called her Khadija Uh, and so you don't find any Khadijas before Khadija. All right, which is very rare. You find many Fatimas. You don't find many or any Khadijas. in fact before Khadija radiAllahu ta'ala anha. So she was born a very premature birth given the name Khadija. She was extremely beautiful. Uh, Well-educated, literate, well-dressed, sharp, uh, perfect in her behavior, perfect in her character, the most elegant woman of Mecca. She grew up to become the most elegant woman of Mecca. Uh, She never worshipped idols, just like the Prophet and Abu Bakr. She was one of those who who chose not to worship idols. Part of that is probably the influence of Waraka bin Nautil, who we spoke about last week. And that there was this idea um, and it was okay for some to not worship the idols but of course what was prohibited or what would be uh, confronted would be the character or a person like Zayd ibn Amr who would actually confront idol worship before the Prophet ﷺ receives uh, the revelation. She has another nickname even before Islam. Does anyone know what it is? Tahira. So her nickname was Tahira. So Khadija was also called Tahira, pure, before Islam. And that was obviously in reference to her character, pure, even before Islam. Khadija radiallahu anha, as Urwa narrates, Khadija radiallahu anha was known to have never backbited, lied, hurt anyone, or upset anyone. So she was just one of those women that would not mess with anybody. One of those people that just goes through walks through does not use her position of authority or strength to hurt anybody. So she had a very gentle, subtle presence, which is rare for someone of that of that level, right? Prominence, beauty, wealth, everything that would make a person arrogant only contributed to her humility عنها, even before uh, Islam. She married uh, a man by the name of Abu Hala ibn Zurara, a Tamimi, that's her first husband. She had two sons from him, Hala and Hind. By the way, there are a lot of Hinds in the seerah. Men and women, named Hind, okay? I'll talk about why another time, all right? Uh, But Hind, uh, Hind ibn Abi Hala, who's the son of Khadija, the oldest son of Khadija, has one of the most beautiful descriptions of the Prophet, so he lived to the time of Islam, and he described the Prophet, peace be upon him, his physical uh, characteristics, his shama'il, uh, his appearance, his character, and one of the most beautiful descriptions. So if you were to look up Hind ibn Abi Hala's description of the Prophet, ﷺ, it is an, an incredible, uh, description, one of the most prominent descriptions in the books of Shama'il. Um, he lived all the way until 36 after, uh, Hijrah. So he, he lived actually well after the Prophet, ﷺ even, uh, not just Khadija, uh, عنها, narrated from Ibn Abbas, Al-Hassan, Al-Husayn, uh, and, and his son, also Hind. Uh, so her first husband, Abu Hala, passed away. She married Atiq ibn A'id al-Makhzumi. Atiq ibn A'idh al-Makhzumi. Um, she had a daughter fr- from him named Hind also. So a son from the first one named Hind. Second uh, husband, she had a daughter named Hind. Um, also a son named Abdul Uzza. Um obviously a uh, reference to idolatry but this one that's not that that doesn't come in any um, sound narration per se but some of the books mention a son by the name of Abdul Uzza and that would not be because of her idol worshipper approving of idolatry but it would be because that was the name of her grandfather so maybe a son Abdul Uzza from him as well now this one, this husband passed away also, um, and he died when she was only 25. So she was already widowed twice at the age of 25 years old, um, meaning that she would go 15 years, 15 years unmarried after being married to two husbands before the Prophet Banu Mahzum is a uh, considered one of the richest tribes. Uh, anyone know any famous members from Banu makhzum Abu Jahl. Abu Jahl is from Banu makhzum Khalid ibn al-Walid, and of course al-Walid are from Banu Makhzum So these are very powerful, rich people in society. So when Khadija radiallahu anha is 25 years old, she's already widowed, uh, or she's, she's already uh, become a widow twice. Um, Khadija radiallahu anha had inherited from both of her parents. She'd inherited from both of her husbands, who were both very wealth, wealthy, and she was an extremely intelligent, smart businesswoman. So she became not just the richest woman amongst Quraysh, but her caravan, the caravan of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala, anha, uh, equaled all of the other caravans of Quraysh. So if you took just her caravan by itself and you put all of Quraysh's caravans uh, together, hers would outdo all of them. She used to send on the trade routes to Syria and to Yemen sometimes uh, over 800 camels carrying her goods. So this is a very wealthy, Woman, a very exquisite, rich woman. Her nickname becomes Amiratu Quraysh, the princess of Quraysh, Sayyidatu Nisa' al Quraysh, the leader of the women of Quraysh, Khadija al Kubra, Khadija the Great. There are so many different nicknames that she acquires along the way, aside from Tahira, which was one that was more prominent and, uh, you know, and interchangeable with her name, Khadija, uh, growing up. She also, there was a, a green silk pavilion over her roof. So it's really interesting. If you walked into Mecca, there was a green silk pavilion over her roof. And uh, that wasn't a sign of her wealth. That was actually a sign for the poor that were in need. They knew to go to her house. So she wanted she wanted it to be very open and clear that she would give her money uh, freely uh, to the orphans, to the poor, to the widows, to the sick. She used to help. Uh, the poor get married, she used to provide the mahar herself. So she was an extremely generous woman um, as well. Um, at one point, there's a narration that she had uh, over 400 servants. Uh, so this is a woman that is giving to much of society that occupies a great place of prominence in her society. Obviously, because of her humility and her, uh, her goodness, She also got taken advantage of quite a bit in business, right? So she would employ traders, have people take her caravans to uh, Yemen, to Syria, which were the famous trade routes for the people of Mecca. And often they'd come up short. She knew she was being cheated. uh, And she was looking for an honest merchant that she could entrust with her wealth on those trade routes. So she herself actually never made the trip to to Asham or to Yemen. But she was looking for someone. Uh, that she she could give that wealth to. How does the Prophet enter into this picture? Okay, so how does he even come up in the conversation? Uh, The Prophet's actual career coming up was not a merchant. What was he? He was a shepherd, right? And he said that all of the prophets were shepherds. It's one of the ways that Allah taught the Prophet's character is that all of the prophets of Allah at some point were shepherds. And so the Prophet was a shepherd and he was a shepherd primarily uh, for Abu Talib and taking care of Abu Talib's business as well. Now at the age of 18, the Prophet also started to play the role of being a broker. Um, So so in a contract of mudaraba where you have a silent partner and an active partner. So he would start to be a person that would engage in some of those trades um, on behalf of a seller but he himself وسلم, did not go as an adult at this point, after the age of 18 when he started doing this, he didn't actually go to Syria or Yemen uh, himself to do that. If you remember from the story of Waraqa, Abu Talib took him as a child, and the monk in Syria said, don't bring him around here, and he did not bring him back over there. So when the Prophet grew up, this is the only, sec- only the second time that he's going to go out to asham. Uh, now, how does Khadija come to know about the Prophet? ﷺ? She was sick of being burned in business. She was looking for someone who was honest, who was trustworthy. And she was complaining to her sister Hala about this. And Hala referred the Prophet ﷺ to her, saying that he's a shepherd for some of my sheep. So the Prophet ﷺ was a shepherd for Hala, the sister of Khadija. And said, You know, he's an extremely trustworthy person. He has high character. Uh, Why don't you approach him? So she said, Who should I approach? She said, Approach his father, Abu Talib. Abu Talib, of course, is the uncle of the Prophet, but plays the role of his father. When she goes to uh, Abu Talib, Abu Talib actually initially was hesitant. He didn't want to do it. He did not want to let the Prophet go out uh, to do this trade to Asham, to Syria. But after some convincing, she makes the offer multiple times. Abu Talib accepts the proposition. The Prophet ﷺ accepts to take her caravan uh, to Asham for that year. And the person that would be pay, uh, paired off with him, as we said last week, what was his name? Maysara, who would follow the Prophet ﷺ on behalf of Khadija, saw his good character, said that. The cloud never left him when he would when he would, when he would take naps, the trees would extend their branches over him. When he would be in the marketplace and they'd say, Swear by Allah Uzzah, he would say, I, I've never sworn by them before. Maysara who saw the good character of the Prophet, the honesty of the Prophet In any case, the Prophet he doubled the caravan of Khadija on that trip. So he did an extremely good job. He was noble, and Maysara told Khadija um, about his good character and about the things that he had seen. And uh, of course, the fact that he's a monotheist also appeals to Khadija was a monotheist as well. So Masara comes back. The Prophet took Khadija's caravan out, doubled it, was completely honest, maintained a great deal of nobility. And Masara is bragging about the Prophet now, Khadija anha, had trust issues with the merchant or merchants taking her caravan. She definitely has trust issues getting married now because, you know, she doesn't want to get married to someone who's only going to marry her to cheat her with all of the wealth that she has. So she doesn't trust people for marriage. So she's been unmarried now for over a decade. The Prophet wasalam, is also unmarried. And there is a woman that put, puts the bug in Khadija's ear. Does anyone know her name? Not Hala now. Nafisa. Okay. So Nafisa was a friend of Khadija. She goes to Khadija and asks her how's everything. And Khadija starts talking about the Prophet sallam, at, You know this young man Muhammad who took her caravan and and just was so honest and how noble he was. And she starts to say all of those things. So Nafisa sees the spark in her eye and Nafisa says, well, why don't you marry him? Khadija anha said, you know, I, I wasn't interested in marriage and I've been turning people down this whole time. So it's not really something I thought of. The Prophet was also turning down all proposals. Why was the Prophet not getting married? What was the main reason why he was not getting married? Anyone know? He had a poor family. He wanted to take care of his family. So he felt indebted to Abu Talib, to, you know, again, this is a situation where you have the family living together, different kids, the kids of Abu Talib being transferred here, living with the, with the Prophet Abu Talib himself was a very poor man, a respected man, but a very poor man. So the Prophet was holding off getting married. Uh, she was holding off um, getting married. Um, And Khadija radiAllahu anha, I mean obviously the Prophet from an economic perspective, his class compared to her class is a very different class. So uh, Khadija radiAllahu anha in a conversation um, with Nafisa, uh, asks Nafisa to inquire from the Prophet if he's even interested. So Nafisa is the one playing the role here. Right? She heard from Khadija, she got the, okay, she's interested. She goes to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. She says to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Why don't you get married? He says, you know, I'm, I, I have to care for my family. I have to take care of them. Um, but who would you suggest anyway? And Nafisa says, what about a woman with nobility, wealth, beauty, character? She's got everything. The Prophet Sallallahu said, uh, who? So she said, Khadija, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, why do you think she would marry me? You know, what, what would make Khadija radhiyallahu anha, Amiratu nisal Quraish, the princess of Quraish, Sayyidatu nisal quraysh marry me. So Nafisa says, let me ask her. So Nafisa goes back to Khadija, Khadija sends the proposal, Abu Talib comes back with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and who conducts the marriage? Come on. Waraqa, good. Just want to make sure you all were paying attention last week. So think about this Tahira, Tahira the pure one, marries Al Amin, the truthful one. Right? SubhanAllah, Their are nicknames, Tahira and Al Amin. And we mentioned last week the dream that Khadija radiallahu anha had of the sun descending into her home. And Waraka telling Khadija that this would be, uh, that you would marry a nobleman or a prophet. Okay? Now, I want to actually give you some perspective here because it's important about how history changes now. Who had Khadija received proposals from before the Prophet Abu Jahl, Abu Sufyan, Uqba bin Abi Mu'it. Three people who would oppose, of course the only one that lived to accept Islam would be Abu Sufyan. But three of the fiercest enemies of the Prophet when he receives prophethood. Three powerful, arrogant men, right? Khadija did not want any part of them. Despite the strength, despite the nobility, the wealth, all the power that they had in society, she turned down proposals from all three of them, which is unheard of. If you live in Meccan society, you don't turn down a proposal from Abu Jahl, who at that time was not called the father of ignorance. He was Amr ibn Hisham. Abu al-Hakam, the father of wisdom, powerful, You know, strong, noble, noble in many ways, a leader, right? Turns down all of them. Imagine the trajectory of history if Khadija marries one of them instead. SubhanAllah, which was the the expected route for Khadija. So Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha did not do that. Why did she marry the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Why did she marry the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? For what reason? Was it because of how handsome he was? He was very handsome. Was it because of his lineage? He had a, you know, lineage was a big thing to the Arabs. It was because of character. And she actually told the Prophet ﷺ, wa hadithik." She said, look, the reason why I fell for you, I wanted you, I desired you, is because of your noble character and your truthful tongue. The two things I noticed about you, your good character, your truthful tongue—that's what attracted me to you, Ya Muhammad And you know, this is acting upon revelation before it comes. The Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam said, wa If someone comes to you with religion and character, you marry that person. You marry that person. You look for those things. Obviously, religion is ambiguous at this point. Character is not ambiguous. And what drew Khadija to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Uh, was his character. This is what the ulama say, the scholars say أَلَمْ يَجِدْكَ فآوى ووجدك فهدا ووجدك فأغنى, That Allah found you poor and He enriched you, He put you in a, in a place uh, of success that Khadija رضي الله تعالى عنها uh, marrying the Prophet was special. 40 years old, she was 40, he was 25. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi through his marriage to Khadija his place in society changed significantly. For one, it freed him up significantly to play a more important role in society. So it freed him up. They're a wealthy couple at this point. Um, the second thing, it gave the Prophet some access to the elites that he did not have before and that would play an important role in his da'wah. That would play an important role in his call. Now the Prophet, peace be upon him, already attained a position due to his nobility and his character people already knew him as a good man and loved him and respected him but now being married to khadijah gives him a different status in society altogether so he moves into the house of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha in the, in 5 years of uh, so after after the after 5 years of marriage they had six children um, who, who can name all the children by the way Alright, it's too late for you guys, I'm not going to do that. So Zainab, Ruqayya, Umm Kurthum, Fatima, Al-Qasim, and Abdullah. Okay, Uh, four daughters, Zainab, Ruqayya, Umm Qurthum, Fatima, Qasim, and Abdullah. Uh, According to a narration from Urwa, Khadija named the girls, the Prophet named the boys. Um, So you have six children that come from this, and not just six children that come into this household, you also have other people that live in this house. Who else, who else lives in this home? What's that? So some of Khadija's previous children also live with the Prophet ﷺ in Khadija. I just want you to get a, an idea for how many kids are in this home, okay? Who else? Someone just said it. I heard someone say it. Zayd ibn al So Zayd ibn al was um, actually a, a, he was a, a, uh, he was ens- we'll talk about Zayd in detail at some point, but Zayd was captured, enslaved, um, and then bought by Hakim Nur Hizam gifted to Khadija, Ta'ala Anha. The Prophet saw Zayd, the Prophet immediately loved this young man. Khadija gifted Zayd to the Prophet وسلم, who freed Zayd and adopted him as a son. So Zayd became Zayd ibn Muhammad. Did I lose you all? Hakim ibn Hizam, the nephew of Khadija, gifted Zayd to Khadija. Khadija gifted Zayd to the Prophet the Prophet freed him and took him as a son instead. So he was the adopted son known as Hibbu Rasulillah the beloved one of the Messenger of Allah Who else is in this household? What's that? Umm Ayman? Not exactly. Not exactly. Not living in the household. Yeah. Not Zubair. Zubair was actually being cared for by Naufal. Not Anas. Anas is Medina. Later, later. <laughs> Ali. Why did, why did you all forget Ali? What's going on here? <laughs> Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Right? Ali radiallahu anhu. So uh, when the Prophet moved to the house of Khadija, Obviously his economic status changes and his heart is still with Abu Talib. That's why he didn't want to get married in the first place. He didn't want to leave Abu Talib in a bad situation. So Abu Talib had a hard time caring for his own children. So uh, Hamza, Hamza anhu, took Ja'far ibn Abi Talib. The Prophet took Ali ibn Abi Talib. Okay, so Ja'far was raised in the home of Hamza and Ali was raised in the home of the Prophet So this is a pretty full house, right? Between the Prophet and Khadija, and all of these children. And the way that this relationship goes for the next uh, 15 years, before Islam comes into the picture, is is, is this model relationship. They absolutely loved each other. They only had one argument one time. And the argument was that Khadija asked the Prophet SallAllahu to attend a gathering uh, of some of the relatives. And the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam said, اَيْ la wallahi, لَا أَعْبُدُ wa أَبَدًا وَلَا أَعْبُدُ uzza أَبَدًا And Khadija said, خَلِّ اللَّاتِ Al-uzza." So he said to Khadija, I will never worship Uzzah, I will never worship Allah, the idols. And Khadija was saying, forget about lat, forget about Uzzah. Meaning that Khadija wanted the Prophet ﷺ to go to one of those gatherings just to be with the relatives and the Prophet ﷺ did not want to attend any of the gatherings where the idols would be uh, worshipped. So that's the only time that they actually had an argument was over was over that. Uh, one of the narrations that took place at this time is Khadija loved, she loved to make the Prophet ﷺ happy. And so when she met Halima Sa'diya, Halima was the woman who Breastfed the Prophet وسلم, who cared for the Prophet وسلم, as a child. When Khadija uh, met Khadija and he saw and she saw the way the Prophet وسلم, loved loved Sa'diyah like a mother, Khadija anha gifted her with forty sheep and a camel, and that that was the habit of Khadija. It gives you some context. If she met someone who helped the Prophet وسلم, as a child or when he was young or when he was destitute, Khadija would spend on them. Right, she would gift them for what they did for the Prophet So it gives you some of a, some some context to the Prophet repaying that favor later on after the death of Khadija to spend on Khadija's friends. Khadija spent on the friends of the Prophet Anyone that took care of the Prophet or that loved the Prophet or the Prophet loved, if Khadija saw it, Khadija gave and, gave and gave and gave and gave and of course this only increased the love of the Prophet uh, for Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. Of course one of the significant incidents before Revelation here is when the uh, tribes fought over the placement of the stone in the Kaaba. al Hajar al-Aswad, the black stone in the Ka'bah. And the tribes made an agreement that they, would, uh, that they would resolve the dispute by whoever walks through the doors next will place the stone together. The Prophet wa sallam, walks through. They said al amin Radina, al amin Radina, it's the trustworthy one, the truthful one, we are pleased, it's the truthful one, we are pleased. And the Prophet ﷺ came up with a strategy, he said that all of the tribes will that will put the black stone in the cloth, and all of the tribes will grab uh, a part of that cloth, that way they all place the stone together, and so it solves the dispute of giving favoritism to one tribe. Um, Over the other. Now, of course, that's a a position that the Prophet in part occupies now because of who his wife is. Okay? Because of who his wife is. uh, Now, all of that, I just summarized as much as I could and paraphrased, and I hope I didn't lose anyone to give you this context to revelation. Okay? To revelation. The Prophet had the most beautiful wife the most elegant wife, the most wealthy, noble, um, comforting, caring, loved his children, has an incredible space in society. There is nothing more that a person could want at this point. Meaning from a dunyawi perspective, from a material perspective, the best moments, the best time of the prophet's life was 38, 39 years old, this, this lead up to Revelation, where when he walks through the streets, He is noble. Everyone recognizes him. He's a peacemaker. When he speaks, everyone listens. They honor him. His family life is good. His societal life is good. He has everything that he could possibly want. Right? And suddenly, the Prophet starts to see dreams. This is an important understanding of revelation, right? The Prophet's revelation starts with true dreams. Suddenly, the Messenger of Allah sees something. He wakes up. Sometimes he would tell his family what he saw in the dream, and it would happen exactly as he saw it. SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam So for six months, half a year, the Messenger of Allah SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam kept seeing true dreams. After he sees true dreams, what happens next? Aisha radiAllahu Anha says, Allah put the love of seclusion in the heart of the Messenger SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. Suddenly he loved to, to pray alone, to seclude himself, يتحنث, يتحنث, to worship in an Abrahamic way. The worship of Waraqa was called tahannuf, to worship in a hanifi way, to worship in a monotheistic way. So the Prophet ﷺ suddenly loved to have long periods of silence and seclusion and worship that one God actively and seeking something greater. But he was called very specifically والسلام, to ghari hiraq to That cave in Hira. It's not like he was going next door or the Prophet ﷺ would take to another room in the very large house of Khadija. The Prophet ﷺ would go climbing all the way up, which is at least a couple of hours, though Allahu Alam how long it used to take them. But if any of you have been up to Hira with the paved way, how long does it take you all? What are your times? An hour? About an hour, right? Okay, that's with the, that's if you're walking at a healthy pace. And you don't get attacked by one of the monkeys up there, all right? But the point is, is that you're walking up there, and you know you don't. Hopefully, none of those monkeys steal your. I actually had someone in my hedge group. One of the monkeys stole his. Uh, he he took a banana to give to one of the monkeys, and the monkey grabbed. The monkey acted like it was going to take the banana, and then it grabbed his bag instead and ran off with it. <laughs> so it's like they're a lot smarter than you think, and they know the tourists that are coming up there. So it takes about an hour to get up there with the paved way, with the steps. Imagine back then, no steps, nothing. That's not taking into consideration the walk to the mountain in the first place, which the, the house of the Messenger and Khadija عنها, was around the area of Marwa, Walking all the way from there to the, the mountain and then up, and being in that cave all by yourself. How long did he used to do this? He used to go up there sometimes for a few days, sometimes for a few weeks, and then sometimes an entire month uh, without coming down. Some of the women started to mock Khadija, right? You know, you've given him everything, you've done this for him and your husband goes away, spends a month up there. What kind of argument are you having with your husband that he goes up to a, a mountain, right? Uh, that's not what was happening though, right? But you know, you can imagine the mockery and the words that start to be spread. When you're when you're at that position in society, every move of yours is scrutinized. So why is the Prophet ﷺ, why is Muhammad ﷺ going up to a mountain now? What's, what's with this long break? Except Khadija anha, not only did she not buy into any naysayers, Khadija would go up. How old would Khadija anha have been? 54, 55 years old. Would go up the mountain herself, take food to the Prophet ﷺ, bring stuff to him so that he did not have to come back to the home to reload, to, 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 to replenish his goods, so that he could focus in his worship. She knew that this was sincere devotion and that something was happening and she wanted to be as supportive as she could. SubhanAllah, no one told her to do that nor is that an expectation the prophet صلى placed on her but this is a woman that always exceeds all expectations she's going up there taking food taking drink taking you know a, a blanket all these things to make sure that the prophet صلى الله is well cared for and never has to think about coming back down right for any of these things only says good things only supports him only helps him and then, obviously, you're imagining the climb of a woman with how many children at this point, right? That has given birth to about 10-11 children, <laughs> you know, in her, in her late 50s, walking up a mountain by herself, darkness of the night or the heat of the sun. Either way, it's a, it's a pretty harsh climb for you to have to make. And then the Prophet ﷺ, of course, experiences what he experiences. Jibreel comes to the Prophet and approaches the Prophet in the cave. It is so significant. First of all, imagine how long the run of the Prophet back down was. I mean, that's not. it's not like he saw Jibreel was squeezed, terrified, and he could just jump out. No, he still has to make that whole walk down from the mountain. Goes to Khadija Radiallahu ta'ala anha. You cannot underestimate first and foremost the significance of the Prophet ﷺ going to Khadija first. Why? He could have gone to Abu Bakr, his best friend. Anhu. He could have gone to Abu Talib, his father figure. He could have gone to Waraqa, a person who understands these things himself, right? The Prophet could have gone to Hamza anhu, his uncle and his one of his best friends. Hamza plays a dual role of being his uncle, his brother in Rida'ah, and that they were breastfed together, same age, um, and his best friend, one of his best friends. He, instead he goes straight to Khadija ta'ala anha, knowing that no one is going to reassure him and be more supportive than this woman. No one could possibly, no human being could comfort the Prophet وسلم, the way that Khadija عنها, could comfort the Prophet. He and I want you to think of the scene. The Prophet bursts into the home, tells Khadija radiallahu anha, cover me, cover me, hold me, embrace me. Khadija does not ask any questions, Allah what he just saw, Allah knows, did did he get attacked on the way home? What happened? She doesn't ask. The Prophet comes in sweating, he's shaking, hold me, embrace me. She holds him, she embraces him, she comforts him. And the hadith actually mentions that the Prophet did not speak for some time, meaning he shook for a little bit, and she's just holding him, she's not, not asking any questions, he's waiting to let the Prophet وسلم, talk about what happened to him. And when the Prophet وسلم, uh starts to speak, حَتَّى ذَهَبَ عَنْهُ الروع, the Prophet وسلم, uh, the, the, the 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 fear had gone from him, or he stopped shaking at least At that point, خديجة, خديجة, oh, خديجة, what is wrong with me? نَفْسِي I'm worried about myself. That's all he said. I'm worried about myself. And he said that the one who I saw in my sleep came to me. أَتَانِي atani fil manam. Because the Prophet had seen Jibreel in a dream before. He recognized him. And then now he saw him in the cave. This man who he saw in his dream. And I'm, I saw the one who came to me in my sleep. And that's all. I'm, I'm, when, when he says, لَقَدْ خَشِيْتُ What is he telling Khadijah? And by the way, if, if the Prophet ﷺ is fabricating something, these first few years don't really add up because there's, the, there's a Prophet who's in uncertainty, who's waiting for more guidance, who's looking, who's waiting for months and months and months and months for something to happen. But he's scared. نَفْسِي I'm worried about myself. What does he mean when he says I'm worried about myself? What is he talking about? Yeah. That, possessed. that I'm possessed? That I'm possessed? I, maybe, have I lost my mind? What happened to me? Am I, have I lost my mind? Right? So he's questioning himself. SubhanAllah, in those moments, Khadija could make or break him, can't she? She could say to him, We're going to stop you from going to Hiraat for some time, go to sleep, talk about this later. She could have said something. Neutral. She could have said, let's go to sleep right now. Let me think about it. She could have called someone over She could have immediately said, let's go to warakah. She could have said, let's go to a doctor She could have actually criticized him again You know, you know, you really shouldn't be going and spending all that time in Hira. You should have been home I needed you here. You went to Hira. She could have used it as an opportunity. She could have mocked him Anything there are so many things She could have said to the Prophet in those moments, but subhanAllah right away what, what are the first words she says? And I actually went through all the narrations, I studied all 19 narrations, I was like, let me find what the first word was, and I want to be sure of it. What was it? Close. First, before that even. She said, kalla, kalla, no, and kalla is no way, abshir. These are glad tidings, subhanAllah, kalla, abshir. These are glad tidings. This is good news from Allah. And then she said, فَوَاللَّهِ لَا يُخْزِيكَ اللَّهُ أَبَدًا I swear that Allah would never disgrace you. First thing she denies, because the Prophet needed to hear, I'm not crazy, did I lose my mind? Am I possessed? Kalla, Of course not. No way. Right? Kalla. And then abshir. do Don't be sad. Don't be sad. You know, subhanAllah, when something like that happens, that type of a traumatic experience, first and foremost, you need that self-assurance. And then, you need to be able to see the good news that is hidden in what seems to be a very difficult uh, hardship. Khadija achieves that in two words with the Prophet Sallallahu Kalla, that no, you did not lose your mind, you're not crazy. Abshir, this is good news. Why? Fa wallahi la Allahu abada your Lord would never disgrace you. You think Allah would disgrace a person like that? You think Allah would disgrace a person like you? And then she starts to tell the Prophet ﷺ what he needs to hear. Words of reassurance. And they're not just ambiguous uh, you know, words. She says, فَوَاللَّهِ إِنَّكَ لَتَصِيرَ رَحِمٍ She starts to mention all these qualities. She said, first and foremost, you are someone who maintains good relations with kin. وَتَصْتُقُ hadith? And you only speak words of truth. You only speak words of truth. You know, remember this was one of the qualities that, that made her want to marry the Prophet ﷺ in the first place. You're a truthful person. You only speak words of truth. وَتَحْمِلُ And you help the poor and the destitute. No one who is poor or destitute comes to you, except that you help them. وَتَكْسِبُ Okay. Uh, so taksibul kal kasb refers to more of the um, more of the, the 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 risk part the sustenance part um and taking care of oh tahmirul kal means you don't just spend on people you actually carry their burden as well when people have burdens you don't just spend on them you actually carry their burdens as well and then he says wa taqrid she says wa taqrid you entertain your guests you're even good with your guests wa and you assist those who are stricken with calamities. You are always there for those who are in hardship. SubhanAllah, in this, in these few sentences, that is, the Prophet came down with revelation, Khadija anha has inspiration. How does she come up with those words? If you were to actually take the time to come up with those words for that moment, you would not be able to come up with better words. She reassured the Prophet in so many different ways. First of all, Notice the reasons she mentions that Allah would not disgrace the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and then compare it to what would come down of Quran later on, over 13 years later in Surah Al-Baqarah. لايس البرّ أن تولوا وجوهكم قبل المشرق والمغرب ولكن البرّ من آمن بالله واليوم الآخر والملائكة والكتاب والنبيين وآت المال على حبه ذو القرب والمساكين وبنى السبيل والسائلين وفر رقاب وأقام الصلاة وآت الزكاة. Allah says righteousness is not that you turn your faces towards the east or the west, but righteousness is one who believes in Allah, the last day, the angels, the book, the prophets, and gives out of their wealth, in spite of their love for it, to relatives, to orphans, to the needy, to the travelers, to so those who ask for help, for the freeing of slaves, and who establishes prayer and gives zakat, those who fulfill their promises when they make promises, and those who are patient in poverty and hardship and during, uh, during struggle, those are the ones who have been truthful and it is they who are righteous. Khadija radiAllahu Anha, her description of why Allah would not disgrace the Prophet ﷺ actually already matches up with Quran that would come later on. SubhanAllah, she could have said, Allah would not disgrace you, and she could have said, You never worshiped the idols, you did this, you did that. She could have, but she mentioned these reasons that actually line up almost exactly with what Allah would describe as righteousness in the Quran in Surah Al Baqarah. And also, some of the scholars mentioned Khadija anha mentioning these things, this confidence that she has in the Messenger وسلم, is important because no one knows the Prophet وسلم, like her. She's his only wife, his only wife. They have been married now for 15 years, right? I mean, no one knows the Prophet better than her. And so those words of confidence coming from your spouse are particularly significant. This isn't some poet in front of the Kaaba, you know, uh, saying all these words about, it's your wife, your spouse saying that about you. Also knowing that rich people, wealthy people usually don't do the things that you do. The Prophet was not transformed by his wealth, by the wealth that came to him when he married Khadija. But instead, he used that for more noble things and more truthful um, and charitable things. And this here makes Khadija not just, you know, subhanAllah, the first believer here, right? She actually is believing in the Prophet before the Prophet is certain of himself. Think about how incredible that is. She's telling the Prophet before he's sure of himself that I'm sure of you. That's tasdeeq before you know confirming you know his truthfulness before even hearing it from him I'm sure you are upon the truth I'm sure that Allah would not let you uh, be disgraced she says let's go to Waraqa right that was her idea to go to Waraqa fasalu ahl and kuntum la ask the people of knowledge if you don't know any better and by the way We mentioned Waraqa made this comment and said that if I live to see when your people run you out لَأَنْصُرَنَّكَ نَصْرًا مُؤَزْرًا That I will support you with everything I have. I will consume myself. I'll stand by your side and fight along your side. You think Khadija radiallahu anha sitting there hearing Waraqa say that didn't affect her? Like that's going to be my mission then. Right? I mean if you were to describe Khadija's support for the Prophet ﷺ, it's نَصْرًا مُؤَزْرًا It is undying support throughout it all. It is what Waraqah desired to do, that Khadija would do. Uh, After that time, remember there was a pause where Jibreel did not come back for some time. The Prophet was seeing Jibreel um, in human form, in his his human figure. But the Prophet was not able to confirm anything at this point. He hadn't been called at this point. Khadija says, Listen, if you see Jibreel again, the next time you see him, I want you to tell me. So the Prophet said, I see him. Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha said, sit on my right side. So the Prophet ﷺ sat on her right side. She said, أَتَرَى? Do you see him? The Prophet said, yes. She said, sit on my left side. She said, do you see him? he said yes so then Khadija ta'ala anha, uh, sat behind him put her arms around him and her legs around him so like he's sitting you know in her grasp and then on top of that she takes off her, now it says she removed her khimar meaning she removed uh, you know at that you know the khimar at that point the women used to wear something on their head and then obviously when the, when the order came down, then they, then they moved it over, uh, over and they tied it, right? So she removed her khimar, and she held him, and she said atara, do you see him? And the Prophet SallAllahu said, no. <laughs> this is an interesting narration, right? And then she says, Uthbut fa innahu malak wa laysa bi shaytan." She said, be firm, this is an angel, not a devil. <laughs> That's Khadija radiallahu anha. What just happened, right? Even the Prophet SallAllahu wh- Alaihi what do you mean? How do you know? Because she was talking about the haya of Jibreel the modesty of this angel. She said that if it was a shaitan, the shaitan would stay around. But Jibreel had modesty and shyness, that this angel would have modesty and shyness, so the angel would not stay if he perceived intimacy or something of that line. Jibreel would give salam from the outside. So Khadija is figuring this out. As a woman, obviously she's the cousin of Waraqah, she's a wise woman, a noble woman, but she's she's figuring things out herself, and she is guided naturally towards his goodness. And this is what we hear from the you know that, that the Prophet said there are people who are muhaddathun They are just guided to natural goodness by the angels. Like Umar al-Khattab. It's as if they're receiving revelation because they're just they, they, they have certain inclinations. And so then the Prophet ﷺ, obviously some time passes, and he does, not, he does not get the command of revelation. So though he saw Jibreel ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ did not get revelation. Again, if he's fabricating this, and if the Prophet ﷺ was cooking up this story for a very long time, at the age of 40, he would have prepared the groundwork, came out and said, everyone, it has come to me, you know, and, and he would have had this grand entrance, right? But there are months passing by, and Khadija is the one comforting him. And then, subhanAllah, the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah, where the Prophet uh, went out and he saw Jibreel in his full angelic form. This was the first time he saw Jibreel in his full angelic form, sitting on a throne between the heavens and the earth, covering the entirety of the horizon, and coming near the Prophet and the Prophet ran back to Khadija radiyallahu ta'ala anha, once again said, Zammiluni, Zammiluni. Khadija radiyallahu anha, embraced the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Though this time, there's a history that happened some time ago, right? Where she knows what must have happened. And at that moment, the next revelation of the Quran, Surat Al-Muddathir. Ya ayyuhal mudathir, Qum fa'anthir. O you who is wrapped up, stand up and call that revelation comes to the Prophet ﷺ while he's in the arms of Khadija. Think about how significant that is. That the, the revelation of Surah al came to the Prophet Sallallahu in the arms of Khadija عنها, O you who is wrapped up, arise and warn and your Lord magnify and keep pure your garments and, and desert the idols, abandon the idols. So SubhanAllah, when the Prophet ﷺ sees Jibril in human form the first time, he goes to her. When he sees him in angelic form, He goes to her again and Surat al-Muddathir is revealed in her arms radiallahu ta'ala anha and after Surat al-Muddathir came the Prophet said, you are the first one I'm calling to this message and Khadija said, and I am the first one to accept this message. I'm not going to question it. Absolutely no hesitation supporting him so she, she is the first Muslim, the first believer, the first Of many things, as I'll say. And the Prophet says, that sleep is gone. (laughs) We're not going to sleep anymore after this. right? The time of sleep is gone. That time of just peace that we had is gone now. That the tribulations that are going to come, that waraqa warned of, certainly those tribulations will come. The Prophet made his first wudu and his first prayer with Khadija. The Prophet made his first tawaf with Khadija. He would pray his Qiyam with Khadija. Khadija radiallahu anha sold away her clothes and her goods and spent on the call of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, spent on the da'wah of the Prophet. When the Prophet was boycotted, this is probably the most subhanAllah, this one is heartbreaking. Because you can imagine emotionally what it did to the Prophet. You don't think, as much as he loved Khadija, you don't think he felt guilty? Seeing, you know, this man of empathy, seeing the pain that the da'wah was causing her. That suddenly, it's not just him going down, being rejected and pelted and, and slandered and losing everything. She's losing everything too, right? But when the boycott happens, when the boycott happened, the boycott was of two tribes. Banu Hashim, Banu Mupallu. Khadija's not included in either of those tribes. Khadija technically could have avoided the boycott, meaning she could have stayed on the outside of the ghetto that was created, the area that was created, that was wired off. No one's allowed to go there. Prohibited from food and drink. She could have stayed on the outside in the comfort of her home and supported her husband from there, but Khadija insisted on being with the Prophet وسلم, when the boycott of Banu Hashim and Banu Muttalib happened. And on top of that, Khadija عنها, uh, used uh, what, what she had of connection to her to her husband to her cousin, Hakeem, her nephew Hakim al-Hizam. Um, Ta'ala anhu to secretly sneak in food because the people were starving. So Khadija used her connection to sneak in food into the area of the boycott. And what did Khadija eat? Khadija anha, a woman who lived her entire life in wealth, beauty, elegance, she ate grass to survive. So even the food that came in, she donated it. She distributed it. She spent it on everyone else. SubhanAllah, complete selflessness. Imagine the Prophet Sallallahu looking at her, becoming frail, losing her weight, becoming bony, becoming sick all the time, all of a sudden. She was an old woman at this point, right? She's now in her 60s. And not only that, never once complains. This is the amazing thing about her. She never once says, why is this happening to me? You did this to me. None of that complete acceptance of that which she has. And there's a narration from Ibn sunni rahimahullah sunni uh, that s-salām, met Khadija anha in the streets in the form of a man, which we know in, in the narrations of hadith that sometimes Allah would send an angel in the form of a man that would ask a question about the hal of the people, about how they were doing that al-Islam a.s. asked, asked Khadija r.a.s. about her situation in the Prophet s.a.w. and she said nothing but praise of the Prophet and gratitude to Allah. And then obviously in the last moments of Khadija, when she's about to die, this woman that believed in him, gave him everything, loved him, supported him, encouraged him, now 25 years, 25 years. So the Prophet s.a.w. married her at 25 and these 25 years one of the only uh, monogamous marriages in Mecca. He's married to her only. Prophet ﷺ never had a jariya never had a wife, nothing, just her. And Khadija anha, losing herself, dying, literally from eating grass in a boycott that she voluntarily is participating in. She voluntarily is in that boycott. And then the hadith in Al-Bukhari from Abu Huraira That Jibreel came to the Prophet sitting in his his living room. This is during uh, the last days. And he says to the Prophet Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, Hadihi Khadija, qad atat ma'aha ina'un fihi idamun, o ta'amun, o sharab. He said, O Messenger of Allah, this is Khadija coming to you. She's carrying a dish that has some, some soup or some food or some drink. And he says to her When she comes to you عَلَيْهَا السَّلَامِ مِنْ رَبِّهَا Tell her that Allah sends salam to you. Allah, give her salam from her Lord. SubhanAllah, Jibril conveying a salam specific to Khadija from Allah. Another first, the first person to receive salam from Allah in this Ummah. Not just that, السلام, and give Khadija my salam too. So tell her Allah sends salam, and, and tell her that Gabriel, that Jibreel, salam sends his salaam. nasab And give her the glad tidings of a, of, of a, of a, a pearl palace. A, a palace made of pearls in jannah, in paradise and there will be no noise or fatigue in that home. SubhanAllah, Qasab, you know, there, Imam Suhaili, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, Suhaili says Qasab, uh, the pearls, because Khadija gave away all of her pearls for the sake of Allah. She didn't have any more jewelry, she didn't have any more of that goodness, so you're gonna have a whole house of those jewels, the most expensive pearls that you gave away, you spent for the sake of Allah. La sakhaba fihi wa la nasab, no noise, irtifa' as or exhaustion or fatigue. And a says because she never raised her voice at the Prophet once, nor did she ever tire him. She always was a source of peace, comfort, tranquility to him. So Allah would give her eternal tranquility as a result of that. No more noise, no exhaustion. And some of the scholars mentioned because of the the taunting of the people of Mecca. At this point now, you don't walk out of your house without the people of Mecca yelling at you, cursing you, throwing things at you, harassing you. So give her the glad tidings of a palace in paradise made of pearls. She will hear no noise and no fatigue within. Khadija walks in. She's holding this tray. The Prophet says, Allah sends his salam to you. Or he says, Hadha Jibreel. Jibreel is here. And he says that Allah sends salam to you. And Jibreel sends salam to you. And gives you the glad tidings of a home in paradise made of pearls. There is no noise and no fatigue therein. Khadija radiallahu anha smiles. She says, "In Allah huwa salam. She says, Allah is the source of salam, the source of peace. So I can't say wa alayka salam. But "In Allah huwa salam. Wa ala Jibreel as salam. And to Gabriel, my salam. And though the Prophet did not give salam to her per se, she said, and upon you, O Messenger of Allah, the peace and the mercy of Allah. So she added the Prophet in her response. SubhanAllah, uh, this is Jibreel who came to the Prophet sent him into the arms of Khadija twice and now comes to the Prophet to tell the Prophet basically that Khadija's time is wrapping up, right? This was a sign, as Ibn Hajar says, that the time of Khadija was near, that she was about to die. And Abu Talib had died, this is in the year 620, Abu Talib died at the age of 80 years old. Khadija had died only, according to some narrations, three days after Abu Talib, three days. Imagine that hardship, your father figure, the only person who protected you and cared for you, he dies. And then your emotional support, your mental support, your love, Khadija عنها, dies right after, at the age of, uh, of 65. Uh, this was in Ramadan, but Ramadan had not yet become a, a month of fasting. So she actually passed away in Ramadan, um, in that year of 620. Uh, and they were married at that point for 25 years The narrations are very painful. Um, to go through here because the Prophet buried her himself. So he uh, himself went into the grave of Khadija and he received the body of Khadija and there was no ghusl or janazah yet. But you can imagine that this was the woman that held the Prophet and comforted him when revelation came to him and now the Prophet is comforting Khadija putting her into the grave and how painful that must have been for the Prophet That's an experience that never leaves him وسلم, right? That he has to do that. And her grave is just a stone's throw from Abu Talib's grave, by the way. It's in Jannatul Mualla If you go to Jannatul Mualla in Mecca, it's just right, right next to it. And the Prophet is burying Khadija radiallahu anha and receiving her in the grave himself وسلم, and placing her uh, there and comforting her for the last time that woman whose arms grabbed the Prophet ﷺ and comforted him so many times, and now he's grabbing her lifeless body. A body that strove, I mean she, she became that way, frail because of her support of the Prophet and burying her there, and making dua in, in, in a very organic way, just supplicating to Allah ﷻ, uh, for mercy upon her. <clears throat> Ammar ibn Yasir says that we feared for the Prophet ﷺ after her death, that he would die soon after. Subhanallah. from the amount of grief that he had وسلم, uh, when she passed away Hamad ibn Salama said the people left the Prophet alone because they feared that to ask him anything because they did not want to add to his stress because they felt like he would die. I mean people legitimately feared you know when you see an elderly couple subhanAllah sometimes when an elderly person passes away and you, you fear what would happen to the next one. That's how they felt about the Prophet they feared that he would die very soon because he could not bear the grief of Khadija. Ta'ala anha, the Prophet used to be heard loudly weeping at night in his home, <coughs> consoling Fatima Ta'ala Anha, his only daughter that was left with him in the home, sallallahu And even after uh, she passed away, um, most of the narrations <coughs> most of the narrations about Khadija are from Aisha. anha. Why? Because Aisha said that I was never jealous of a woman the way I was jealous of Khadija and I never even met her. I never met her. the Dead wife of the Prophet but she said, I was so jealous of her. And uh, she said every day, 13 years after his death, she said wallahi a day did not pass except that he mentioned her. You imagine that? 13 years with everything going on. The Badr, the Uhd, the Khandaq, the Fath—all that stuff—and he would never, he would never go a day without mentioning her. She says, <laughs> He would not leave his home in the morning until he mentioned Khadija, رضي <laughs> الله He would praise her. So one day, the Prophet was going on and on about her, and she said, "I became overcome with uh, my jealousy." And that's when she said that I, I, I stood up and I said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, hasn't Allah given you someone better than this toothless woman, old woman from Quraysh? Like she pushed her luck. She said, I said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, abdalaka khayran minha, called her the old woman, toothless woman of Quraysh. Didn't Allah give you someone better than her? And she said that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam his face changed in a way that it would not change except revelation was coming to him. That's the power of the face change of the Prophet it was as if Quran was being revealed to him. She said he was angry, his 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 hair stood, sallallahu wasallam. And he said to her, he did not belittle Aisha. And notice Aisha is the one narrating this. This is beautiful because our mother Aisha narrates this out of to show the virtues of Khadija, right? To show the virtues of Khadija and the character of the Prophet, said the Prophet وسلم, stood up and he said, Wallahi, ma Allahu He said, I swear by Allah, Allah did not replace her with someone better than her. Aminat bi, ith kafara bi an nas. She believed in me when everyone else disbelieved. Right? So, subhanAllah, you talk about the first bi nas when everyone disbelieved in me she believed in me it she considered me truthful when other people considered me to be a liar she spent her money on me she didn't just give me these empty words she spent her money on me when other people held back wa allah gave me children through her and he did not give me children through other women. That this is the mother of my children. This is, this is, she's all this to me. No, Allah did not give me someone better than her. And Aisha said, I knew from that moment never to push that button again, never cross that line of saying anything about Khadijah. Khadija was off limits for the Prophet Said anytime the Prophet slaughtered some sheep, he would take a few pieces of the sheep, he'd put it to the side, and he'd tell someone, Arsilu, arsilu ila Khadija. Go send it to the friends of Khadija. And when when, when Hala, the sister of Khadija, when the Prophet ﷺ would hear her voice, the Prophet ﷺ would, would peek and he would look around and he would say, "Allahumma Hala, Allahumma Hala, Oh Allah, it's Hala. Oh Allah, it's Hala. And actually it's, Oh Allah, let it be Hala. Meaning, I, I hope I'm actually hearing because Hala had the voice of Khadija. So he wanted to be reminded. Uh, so, Aisha said, so they would sit together and they would remember Khadija. Hours and hours just remembering Khadija. Right, so the Prophet ﷺ just longed for any memory of Khadija. Aisha says, one time this old woman came to the house and the Prophet ﷺ treated her with so much kindness, he emptied out the whole house for her, and I thought she was just a beggar in the street or something. So I said, تُقْبِلُوا ha- ala هَذِهِ الْعَجُوزِ al الْإِقْبَالِ Like, you, gre- you greeted this elderly person. Like that, and the Prophet ﷺ said, "Inna Ta'atina, zaman Khadijah." She used to come to us during the days of Khadijah رضي الله تعالى عنها. So I remember seeing her during the days of Khadijah رضي الله تعالى عنها. And this is uh, this is a beautiful thing. The Prophet رضي الله عنها said, "And wallahi, the reason why I was jealous of her." This is also important. She said, "Lad amara amara hu an yubashirha bi fil that Allah had actually commanded the Prophet ﷺ to give her the glad tidings of a home in paradise. So Aisha longed for that as well. I know I took long, I'll just mention these last two stories which I think are very important. Uh, when the Prophet ﷺ saw the necklace of Khadija عنها, uh, the Prophet's Zayn- daughter Zainab Al-Kubra was married to Abu Al-As Ibn Rabir. and Abu Al-As was a good man but he didn't accept Islam because of tribal affiliations. And so he fought on the day of Badr, but he didn't fight hard. He kind of kept his weapons to the side, just went out with the people on the day of Badr, just because he had to as a matter of formality. And he was captured. And when the Prophet saw him, the Prophet was hurt. Obviously, the Prophet was hurt seeing a lot of people, but this is his son-in-law. And he wanted to be fair. I'm not going to treat my uncle Al-Abbas or my son-in-law differently, right? They're all treated the same way. And, you know, they, they ransomed their prisoners with gold or wealth, or, and if they had nothing they would teach them read how to read. The Prophet said if you can teach uh, ten Muslims how to read or write you can go. So he wanted just to establish something, right? And then the Prophet is presented this necklace. And it was a necklace that Khadija gave to Zainab. And the Prophet he saw that necklace and he cried for a while. And the Sahaba did not know why he was crying, so he sat down and he wept for some time. This is years later, and then he said, Alaihi Wasallam. After crying for some time, he said, shitum atlaqtum laha asiraha, waradatum ilayha qiladataha He said, "Listen, if you if you want, please release her prisoner and return her gold to, return her, her necklace to her too, right?" And she didn't even ask for the necklace back, but the Prophet said, "Go ahead and return her necklace to her." as well. Um, even though she only wanted her husband back, the Prophet ﷺ said, send it back. Finally, when the Prophet ﷺ, um, comes back to Mecca, Fatah Mecca, victorious after all that had happened, the conquest of Mecca, coming back to the same place that he was persecuted, the persecution that led to the death of Khadija, and the people invite the Prophet ﷺ to stay in these a uh, nicer home, stay in the home of Al-Abbas, stay in the home of Abu Sufyan, stay in some of the nicer homes in Mecca. So they keep asking the Prophet ﷺ, where are you going to go, where are you going to go, Ayn Atanzid, Aina where did he go? He pitched the tent next to the grave of Khadija. SubhanAllah, he said, take me to Hujun, take me back to Hujun. He didn't even go to the home that they used to live in. He pitched the tent near the grave of Khadija, this is a woman that never prayed Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, isha This is a woman that never fasted Ramadan. This is a woman that did not see Islam formulate as it did post Medina. But it's her sacrifice in the beginning that makes it all happen, right? I mean, she is what the Prophet needed throughout those moments. He had no one like her. There is literally no equivalent to her. And so anyway, I mean, she's the first mother of the believers. First wife of the Prophet, first to believe, the first Muslim, first person to receive the glad tidings of Jannah, the first one to receive salam from Allah, the first one to receive salam from Jibreel, the first one to worship with the Prophet وسلم, in prayer, the first one to do tawaf with the Prophet. Her support of the Prophet وسلم, is not just inspiring. But if you took all of the ayat about how you're supposed to support the Prophet, she manifests them, right? So she spent on him, she loved him, she loved what he loved, she believed in him, she believed him. She, everything that's told to to us about how to treat the Prophet, she did that. Her natural guidance to good. She is perfection in every way, literally perfect in her iman. And I want to end with just this one hadith. It's a simple statement. The Prophet ﷺ says, wallahi inni قَدْ رُزِقْتُ حُبَّهَا He said, I swear that I was blessed with her love. Allah blessed me with her love. Like her love was a gift to me. SubhanAllah, it was risk. You know, it's like something you say about someone you don't deserve. Right? Like it's risk. I don't know how I got it, but I got it somehow. Like Allah blessed me with her love. I needed that love. I needed that person to be able to get through it. فَجَزَاهُ اللَّهُ خَيْرًا عَنْ أُمَّةِ مُحَمَّدْ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ May Allah reward her for her sacrifice, may Allah reward her for her struggle. And you can imagine that as the Prophet passed from this world, from the lap of Aisha, his soul ascending with Jibreel into the realm of souls, we can only imagine who he probably wanted to see first in Arwah al-Mu'mineen amongst the souls of the believers to be gathered with at that point. We ask Allah to gather us with him وسلم, with our first mother and his first love, Khadija We ask Allah وتعالى, to make us from the Sabiqoon, Allahumma ameen. I apologize, that's probably the longest halaqa in the series, so I promise not to take uh, longer than that inshaAllah in the future, so I'll take questions now. <coughs> yeah. So the question is, how would you not use or how would you not let the incident of the angel, the fact that the Prophet was shaking, his uncertainty in himself could be used as a critique against him. I think it's actually one of the strongest arguments for his sincerity and first of all, a person who reads biblical narrations, I mean if you read about the prophets of old and the way that Jibreel came to them some of them had much more interesting ways in which they uh, were were marked for prophethood and um, inducted into that that fraternity of prophets, right? So uh, this is a pretty amazing. It's 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 a powerful experience. It's um, the experience of going from being an ordinary person to being that prophet of Allah, right? And not just any prophet of Allah, but Muhammad sallallahu And Waraqah knew, you know. Interestingly enough, Waraqah knew, and I actually want to actually read one of the biblical narrations here because it's very. It's very powerful um, and when I used to teach the story of Jibreel Islam in detail I would I would always mention this narration because it was very interesting to me because Waraka said that this is the Namus that came to Musa this is the same angel that came to Moses that your experience resembles what happened um, to Musa alayhi uh, salam. so I actually when I was uh, when I was reading that hadith and, and getting some uh, input in that, I actually wanted to go see if I could find a biblical passage that mentions Gabriel coming to a prophet in the beginning of prophethood. So I found Daniel 8. Behold, I saw a man before me with a booming voice saying, Understand. (laughs) It's very similar to that. As he touched me and recited the word to me, I fell on my face trembling and lost all strength, but I could still hear his words then he stood me upright and said, fear not, O beloved one of God, fear not, peace be unto you. It's almost identical to what happened to the Prophet It actually is pretty much identical, right? So this is the way that Jibreel uh, brings the message. It's a heavy revelation. قولا Thaqila, And there is that period of sorting things out and that's the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that person growing. So the fact that if the Prophet was a fabricator, So there are different lines of attack, right? Fabrication, if he was a fabricator, he would have planned a much more grandiose entrance into announcing his prophethood than than that uncertainty and that hardship that he went through in the beginning. Uh, If he was possessed, then what about the truths and the prophecies and the miracles that started to come down? The eloquence of the Quran, which was unchallenged, in its beauty and its eloquence and its and its superiority to anything else that the Arabs had ever heard. So how do you explain and contextualize all of the miracles? So that's something that, uh, that's another line of attack that you would uh, respond to. All in all, um, you know, Sheikh Mohammed al-Shanawi did a series called the Proofs of Prophethood for uh, Yaqeen, and mashallah, he researched it thoroughly. Uh, taking some of the old literature of Dalal and Nabuwa, uh, the Proofs of Prophethood, and putting them into uh, chapters, so you can actually go and you can read through the, prof- the proofs of prophethood in ta'ala. and like it's, it's, like it's publications, oh, okay. and they have infographics, videos, the whole thing. But it goes, it's very systematic uh, there, and it's, it's just wonderful, Mashallah.